what is this company up to? How do they operate? And to what level uh, are they aware of all the damage that they're causing in these communities? And the first time the, the executives, the owners and executives of Backpage were subpoenaed, they, they didn't show up and they were held in contempt of Congress. One of the co-founders or owners of Backpage, I guess one of the co-owners that's now on criminal trial, and, you know, he literally was sitting there reading the newspaper and they just were, you know, con very contemptuous when the senators asked questions. You know, one of the reasons it's terrifying for them is if you're Google, okay, um, or any of these big tech companies, you've got the data to figure some of this stuff out. His parents need to know that this can happen to anyone's child. Welcome to Parallel Justice. I'm Renee Williams, the Executive Director of the National Center for Victims of Crime and your host for this series. Sometimes the criminal justice system fails to obtain justice for victims. This can occur when prosecutions end in acquittal or if charges are not filed at all. Even following a conviction, victims of crime can be left with devastating damages. So what then is civil justice? Well, crime victims can file civil lawsuits against offenders and other responsible parties, regardless of the outcome of the criminal prosecution, or even if there was no prosecution at all. Though money awarded in civil lawsuits can never fully compensate a victim for the trauma of victimization, it can be a valuable resource to help victims of crime rebuild their lives. And it is a powerful incentive to hold institutions, landlords, businessmen, and employers accountable. In this series, we will look at civil justice sought for criminal acts and bring together diverse perspectives to tackle complex questions of accountability, justice, and healing. Parallel Justice is brought to you by the National Crime Victim Bar Association, which is a program of the National Center for Victims of Crime. More information about the National Center and the National Crime Victim Bar Association is available at victimsofcrime.org. Please be advised that some of the topics we discuss may be disturbing, and these are intended for adult audiences only. Some of these topics may also be triggering. We encourage you to practice good self-care and seek support. Confidential, compassionate support is available via call, text, or chat at victimconnect.org. The views expressed in the following podcast are those of our guests who are experts in these areas. These opinions are invaluable. However, they do not necessarily reflect the views of the National Center for Victims of Crime. We acknowledge that some of these views may be controversial. However, our goal in these discussions is to raise awareness of victims' rights and the options available to them. Please enjoy the podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Parallel Justice. If you missed our last episode, please go back and listen again to the beginnings of Taking Down Backpage. This week, we're joined again by Jason Amala and Vinny Napo, two attorneys out of Seattle, Washington, who helped protect children and took down Backpage.com. This week, we're going to continue the discussion with Vinny and Jason on what they did to make this case work and where the case currently stands. Vinny and Jason, thanks for joining us again. So Jason, I wanna start with you. Can you just explain how we got here? So we filed the case in September, 2012. 
We argue the motion to dismiss, which in a legal case, there's no evidence on a motion to dismiss. It's just based on whatever you alleged in the complaint, which you get sort of the presumption that what you've said is true. And then the court makes a ruling. We win in terms of at least we defeat the motion to dismiss in March of 2013, but the court immediately sends it up to the Supreme Court, recognizing that this is a pretty novel issue. And from there, we wait from uh, March of 2013 all the way to September of 2015, when we get our prevailing ruling from the Supreme Court here in Washington. It's in, so that's September 2015, when it's basically officially game on again for us. In April of 2015, so about six months earlier, is when the Senate finally gets involved uh, for the first time and says, okay, well, what's going on with this website? They're starting to get a lot of noise. We're making a lot of noise. Our, our law firm is, our, the, the mothers in particular are making a lot of noise. It's starting to get a lot of attention. And um, right around the time, I mean, the timing couldn't have been better for us. In the fall of 2015, Backpage, because they did just like they did to us, they did it to the, to the Senate as well. They hired these extremely high-powered, uh, huge law firms to represent them and to cause all sorts of chaos uh, and whatnot. And in the, the, uh, the U.S. Senate situation, it was refusing to comply with court, ordered, um, uh, with court orders compelling them to produce documents. And so when we start going in discovery in September 2015, we start working the same uh, company, Backpage, through the court system out here in Washington, while uh, the U.S. Senate is working them through uh, the uh, the D.C. court, trying to get their documents as well. So we um, we had a great judge on this case throughout the cases. We had multiple judges, but the judges saw through all the bull very quickly and easily. Uh, didn't make it easy for us necessarily because we had to file. Uh, at least three or four uh, motions to compel to get them to slowly start being forced to have to comply. Because this website, you got to remember, as all this is happening, they are fully intending on trying to continue to maintain this appearance like there's some legitimate business that's just being misused. Um, so anyway, so, th so that the intersection of the civil and the criminal, if you will, I think it starts in 2015 is probably where I'd put it. You have a Senate investigation, which leads to Backpage being shut down. We in 2021 have seen three civil trials go. You have more civil cases pending and there's a criminal case. Yeah, so, so look, what, what the Senate was trying to understand is just how does this company operate? You know, just like the Senate might investigate product manufacturers or, you know, the tobacco industry or like, you know, whatever it might have been, this was a business that they were starting to get. Obviously, a lot of their constituents were speaking out saying this website's causing all sorts of harmful things in my community. And so, you know, the Senate decided to take it on and say, hey, well, let's take a look and see how is this happening? Because while on the one hand, um, you know, the escort ads that we all remember seeing on the back pages of weekly newspapers, uh, and and, act, and do have First Amendment protections to some degree, uh, it, it seemed like this was something different. And I think that's what the Senate initially just sought out to do was just understand 
what is this company up to? How do they operate? And to what level uh, are they aware of all the damage that they're causing in these communities, uh, in particular, focusing on the issue of children getting swept up and trafficked on the website? So their investigation concluded and they closed down Backpage. Is that what led to criminal filings? How, how did we get, first of all, who is implicated in the criminal case and why? So like Vinny said, the U.S. Senate was investigating Backpage and trying to figure out what is going on, how is this happening, you know, what's really happening behind the scenes. And the U.S. Senate came out with a report I think maybe two reports eventually um, that, that documented what was happening and its findings. Um, you know, it was interesting. Vinny and I were both at a U.S. Senate hearing. The first time the the executives, the owners and executives of Backpage were subpoenaed, they they didn't show up and they were held in contempt of Congress and ordered to appear. Um, and then we were there, uh, you know, front row when they did show up and they all pled the the Fifth Amendment. I, I was sitting behind one of the co-founders or owners of Backpage, I guess one of the co-owners that's now on criminal trial. And, you know, he literally was sitting there reading the newspaper and they just were, you know, con very contemptuous when the senators asked questions and they pled the Fifth Amendment, which they obviously have a right to do. But they're just very flippant and um, disrespectful, I think, of the whole process. They, you know, but so the, the Senate came out eventually with its report and its findings and in that information from the Senate and the information we had obtained that we gave to the Senate in response to the subpoena, eventually the information the Senate did get from Backpage, um, you know, we don't, we're not privy to what went on between the Senate and, and law enforcement, um, but eventually that's, that's, all of that is what led to the, um, you know, obviously some sort of criminal investigation by the U.S. Attorney's Office. Um, I think the IRS, the U.S. Attorney's Office, the Postal Service, if I remember correctly, a bunch of these federal agencies, you know, doing their, if I remember correctly, grand jury investigations. I mean, is that right? Was there a grand jury investigation? There had to have been, right? Yeah. Yeah. If I remember correctly, it was in October of 2016 is when you first see, I think it's California and Texas bring state uh, criminal charges against the owners of the website and some of the executives. And it's the federal government then brings its charges in April. But, and again, we're not privy to all this information, but you would, it wouldn't surprise you to think that the state prosecutors are probably talking to the federal prosecutors and everybody's now starting to take a very, very hard look at, at exactly what this website's been doing to facilitate trafficking and, and uh, all sorts of illegal activity on its website. So what exactly are the two men charged with, the two co-founders? You know, like Vinny said, we're not privy to what was going on behind the scenes. I mean, we really had no idea that that any of this federal investigation was going on uh, at all and in terms of law enforcement. And, and then all of a sudden these charges come out and uh, eventually, uh, if not early on, the, um, the CEO of Backpage pled guilty to the, the crimes that the company was charged with and that he was charged with. Um, and, and so for us, it was, when you read his, his plea, his guilty plea, it, for us and, and more importantly, our clients, uh, you know, in it, the CEO of Backpage admits 
a, a wide range of of criminal activity. I mean, basically admits what we had been alleging all along. And and again, I want to be a little more clear about that, what our clients had been alleging all along. Because we can bring the case, we can make the theories, find the evidence, but it's it's our clients that are the ones that, you know, make those allegations that bring the case. They're the only reason that stuff happens. And, you know, we fought for years through denials after denials. I mean, all the way up to the Washington Supreme Court with this company saying, not, you know, denying that they were doing this stuff. And um, I'm sure there were pleadings where they called us frivolous, you know, and, and you know, all sorts of names. Um, and and then eventually you get a guilty plea from the company and its CEO admitting that basically everything we'd been alleging was, was true. And that's why he was pleading guilty. So um, eventually the... I believe other executives uh, cooperated and that were charged with a criminal indictment. Uh, and I, I believe all that's left are the, uh, the two, I'll say owners of backpage.com, the two gentlemen that, um, that purchased the company, you know, back in 2005, those are the two that are left. Okay. So famously, two co-founders, Lacey and Larkin, and several other executives are currently facing criminal charges. Where it's September of 2021, and this month, a mistrial was declared. Can you walk us through those charges and what that mistrial means for the future of this criminal case? So yeah, that's correct. So the court uh, in District Court of Arizona, uh, down in Phoenix, uh, declared a mistrial uh, just a couple weeks ago. And uh, our understanding uh, with the court's issue there uh, was that there was a little too much emphasis on child sex trafficking uh, because from the court's view, again, this is just our understanding trying to sort of interpret what's been happening. Uh, the indictment uh, does not bring trafficking charges. The indictment uh, brings charges of basically facilitating prostitution and money laundering. And so while the court had given the prosecutor some leeway to talk about child sex trafficking, because that's certainly a part of uh, the case and it's a part of commercial sex in general, which was obviously squarely uh, within the, the prosecution's case, uh, it was getting to be uh, a little too heavily emphasized to the point where the court was concerned these defendants could be unfairly prejudiced uh, as they're hearing over and over again uh, issues of child sex trafficking when there were no actual trafficking criminal charges that were brought in the case. And so uh, I think just in an abundance of caution, the court declares a mistrial, but our understanding is what that really means is the, uh, the court will re-impanel a jury, uh, hopefully in, in the early part of 2022, and the case will start over again with selecting a jury and opening argument, and they'll they'll start going uh, from really really everything that started uh, three weeks ago will just start again in three months. It is our hope. So the criminal trial is pending. What is going on with the civil cases that you all are bringing? Yeah. So we. Yeah, oh, go ahead, Jason. I'm gonna mute. Sorry. Sure. So, um, so the first cases we filed, the ones that went to the Washington Supreme Court and that that uncovered all the evidence that 
that led to Backpage its downfall. Um, those cases were settled, and I, I can't talk about the amounts or anything like that. Uh, but they settled, and you know, as you might imagine, as a result of the efforts of our clients there, uh, those women, um, you know, a lot of other women came forward, and I say women because it was primarily you know women that were trafficked on the website as kids came forward around the country, both here in Washington State, uh, California, New York, I mean, all around the country. Um, and so, you know, we continue to represent uh, women now who are girls that were trafficked on the website. Um, and and so we have filed additional lawsuits against Backpage.com, civil lawsuits, and a lot of other law firms have done the same thing, which is, which is wonderful. Um, but what's happened is because of the criminal, the pending criminal trials, the civil lawsuits that our firm and uh, and others have filed for other, and again I'm saying women because I think I think all the claims are by women, um, have been stayed. That means that's the legal term for being put on pause uh, because of the criminal trial, and and that's because um, you know in our country you have a right to plead the Fifth Amendment. You don't have to testify against yourself, and. Um, and so they've asserted that right. And so I, the civil cases have, have generally been put on pause because, you know, at this point we can't go in and force the people who are being criminally prosecuted to, to testify. I can't go take a deposition. That's that's in a civil case where you go and you put someone under oath, they raise their, raise, raise their hand and swear to tell the truth and you know, have to answer your questions. We can't do that right now in our civil cases um, because they have a right to plead the Fifth Amendment and, and they can't be in a position where they they t testify or do something in our civil cases that can then be used against them in the criminal cases. So um, I think that virtually all of the so I know all of our civil cases uh, that we filed have been stayed, have been put on pause, and I'm pretty sure, you know, at this point that the dozens of uh, other civil cases have been stayed as well. So everyone's basically waiting for this criminal trial uh, to be over. Uh, you know, related to that, Renee is. When the federal government came in um, and shut Backpage down, it seized all of its assets. And Vinny, do you remember is it, uh, how much they seized? It, it's got to be hundreds of millions of dollars uh, in yeah, assets it, that it took from this. Yeah, that's correct. There's hundreds of millions of dollars that were seized uh, that are, and you can even look at the indictment and a lot of that stuff is detailed. There's a separate um, criminal forfeiture and seizure proceeding that's underway in California. That's kind of dealing with the hundreds of millions of dollars in assets. I mean, we're talking houses, cars, cash, um, you know, all around the globe. Uh, and so, um, so that is, that is a separate part of it, but it kind of goes alongside, I guess, the criminal case as well. Is uh, you know, what do we do with all of these assets that um, you know were were gained through illicit means? So, just talking about your clients again, who are now women or children when they were abused in this way, how do they begin to cope and how are they doing now? How are they healing? You know, we, so we've, you know, again, our, our firm and Vinny and I, we've represented people who were sexually abused as children for, for a long time. Um, and so not just in this case, but I think, you know, most of the time in all of our civil cases, whether it's someone who was sexually abused by a priest or a Boy Scout leader, a foster parent, um, you know, I, I, the way I think about it is oftentimes when they go to counseling or they're ready to, 
to, to deal with it. That's a simple way of putting it. But once they start looking for some ability to deal with what happened to them or address it, uh, a lot of times if they go to a counselor, you know, a counselor often will help them eventually realize um, you know, they, they need to do something to take control of what happened to them that they didn't have control over. And that might mean talking to a lawyer like us and bringing a civil claim. It could mean going to the police. It could mean filing a police report. It could mean writing a letter to the people who, you know, did the bad acts, but doing something to take that step, to take control over something that you didn't have control over. Um, you know, as far as how they're each doing individually, it's it's everyone's different, right? And how this affects everyone's different. And so it's real hard to answer that on the whole, but I um, I think all of them on some level are, are you know, it's been, um, I hate to use the word therapeutic, it's a cheap word to use, but you know, it's, it, it is, it's, it's, I think the first step, um, but obviously they, they would like to hold the company accountable. And what's interesting here is this interplay between the civil cases that we do and the criminal cases, right. Is I'm sure all of our clients would like these folks to go to jail. <laughs> right. Um, but then the question is, what is, you know, what is left for our clients? Right. What's, what does this mean for them? And, you know, part of our job is always to help people find out what happened for them you know, how did this happen and what's the story? And so shutting the company down is one thing, but they want to know the story. It's like, how did this happen? Uh, but that's the other part for us that, that we're kind of waiting on is, you know, what happens with this company? What happens with the hundreds of millions of dollars? <clears throat> that, that What happens with the hundreds of millions of dollars that were seized? You know, is there a way to to try to get some of that to compensate our clients and others uh, either through our civil cases or through criminal restitution, but you know something to try to make it so that the uh, you know these folks don't profit from it, and so that the money just doesn't go to the federal government. That you know the people that were harmed to get get compensated. Now, because this is slightly different than a normal child sex abuse case, because of the nature of the internet, are there additional protections for these women for future harm, or are there ways to ensure that? their images are never available again. Yeah, I can, I, I can tackle that one. Um, so, so the answer is uh, certainly, um, I think the environment has gotten more challenging for websites like Backpage to get away with what they were getting away with for almost 15 years. Uh, and so in that sense, uh, I think that's a good thing um, that it's not so easy now to um, to be able to to take control of a of a minor and and can you know talk them into getting involved in this type of scheme and all you got to do is take a picture and put up an ad and off you go. Um, but uh, you know as far as protections um, for the websites like you know maybe even websites that many of us uh, enjoy and 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 think are really valuable like Facebook or Twitter or some other popular social media sites, Snapchat, um, you know, they, uh, they've still got CDA protection to a degree. I think what has changed most significantly, um, some might remember, some of your listeners might remember, um, President Trump signed into law, I believe back in 2017 or 2018, uh, the SESTA-FOSTA uh, bit of legislation. And what that really did was it said um, any website that knows it has trafficking uh, may be held civilly liable. 
And so essentially, if you now have a, a child who's being trafficked on a website, even a really legitimate good website like Facebook or, or Twitter, uh, and, and that child's parent calls the website or contacts the website and says, this is happening, it, this needs to come down, uh, they have to act, uh, which I think is a good thing too. Uh, they didn't have to act before SESTA FOSTA, um, and that and that was a big that was a big loophole there. I think um, so. That's good. Um, you know, I think the other side of this too that can be overlooked a little bit is just the value in public awareness and education, and the fact that the the girls that we represented now, young women, uh, have been so vocal. Uh, many of them have, at least not all of them, but many of them have been very very vocal about this. They participated in documentaries. They've testified to Congress. They've testified to state legislators. They speak at conferences. Uh, they're very heavily involved. And I think this issue is just getting more and more traction, uh, even from state prosecutors. And even just the way that we understand the distinctions between what we would have thought of as just prostitution and now recognizing all the nuance and understanding that in many of those cases that we would have viewed as prostitution in the past, there's an element of trafficking. And now you've got states like Washington and all around the country that have vacature laws being passed where women who were charged with prostitution 10 years ago can now come back and have that record expunged if there was an element of trafficking, which again, oftentimes there is. And so I think that speaks to the progress that's been made by a lot of these brave uh, families that have come forward to fight against this doesn't mean there's not a whole lot of work to still be done. So Backpage has now been shut down, but this is a problem that is not going to go away. How do we as a society protect our kids? Where do we go from here? And what advice do you have for parents? You, you know, where do we go from here is a, is a, is a really interesting question, and I and I'll I'll I'll, I'll answer it by saying where should we have gone from here, and where do I hope we go from here? The the changes that some of the changes that came about from you know the back page shutdown that Vinny alluded to are are obviously important, but what was really shocking to us is is kind of where the Communications Decency Act and two, Section two thirty started. Is there is this industry out there, the tech industry? Right, that 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 this immunity that the bill provided to websites is so important to their business model in terms of just not having to worry about liability. That when Congress was looking at this and the Senate was looking at this and wanted is working on this this a solution, I don't think people realize this. The tech industry was funding the opposition to what Congress was doing to address child sex trafficking on the internet. I mean, the, these think tanks that are out there that that I you know do important work. It's they make, you know they frame it as First Amendment you know work, free speech work. Um, I think it's Electronic Frontier Foundation. If I remember right. Um, a lot of the work they do, I fully support. On this one, I think they got it wrong. And and there's some other advocacy groups out there that were fighting, changing this this law. And you know this isn't a First Amendment issue, right? You can't. Selling children for sex is not a is not a free speech issue. That's not a First Amendment issue. Um, and and there are ways that, to address this that I I would hope everyone could agree on. The problem is this is such an important um, immunity from that for them that any inroads on it, anything we do 
to try to protect kids. They just, they don't want to look at it and think about it because they like the world how it was. Websites can't be sued, right? So it was, it was shocking to just, you know, and, and I mean, the number of times I told reporters that would call us for a comment and I'd say, don't call me, I'm in Seattle. Walk over to Microsoft, walk over to Amazon, walk over to these companies and ask, why are you funding, fighting us on this? Like, why aren't you helping us figure out the solution? And, and Renee, when you ask the question, where do we go from here? You know, one of the reasons it's terrifying for them is if you're Google, okay, um, or any of these big tech companies, you've got the data to figure some of this stuff out, right? You do, because you have the data points where you can see that the same phone number is being used in multiple ads, right? You, you can, there's all sorts of data they have behind the scenes that, you know, we all talk about privacy and our protections and them tracking us. And, you know, the, you say something out loud and all of a sudden you're seeing ads for it. They've got all this data where if they really wanted to help prevent child sex trafficking, they could do it. The data is there. And so what they get worried about is the second you start making inroads on this bill, where do you draw the line, right? At what point can you fault Microsoft or Amazon or Google and I'm not saying these companies are doing anything wrong, so don't don't take that the wrong way. But if they wanted to help, they could. And that's their concern is if you start going down a path where, you know, where do you draw the line, right? And and that's their concern. They just want it to be black and white. And that's been the pushback that we've that we've gotten on trying to find a more meaningful solution. Um, for parents, I, I you know, something we didn't talk about when you asked about our clients is parents need to know that this can happen to anyone's child. Um, but JS tells her story in that. And she was, um, a, I think, Vinnie, how old was she? Was she 13? She was 15. 15. You know, yeah. she was from, a, I'll say, a middle class, maybe slightly lower middle class family in a little suburb of Seattle and, you know, got along well with her parents. And, and you know, she's a, she's a, then he said, 15 year old girl, right? 15 year old boy. They're, they got, they all got issues, right? They're, you know what I mean? They, they, they're kids. Um, and, uh, and so she, she tells her story. I mean, you should just watch it, but I, I'll, I'll say it short like this. She ran away from home, not in like the normal sense of running away from home, but she basically wrote a, le a little note said, mom, dad, I'm, I'm going away for a bit. I love you. Something like that. Took a bus to Seattle and, uh, and then as nightfall comes, she realizes she doesn't have anywhere to stay. She's 15. And she goes to a shelter and they say, look, we don't have any beds tonight. You can stay here until closing time, but then you got to go. And another girl heard her and heard that and said, hey, I, I, I know some guys that will help you out. And so she went with this girl and two guys that were sex traffickers um, were the, were the guys who would supposedly help her out. And they literally locked her in a dark room and sexually assaulted her, raped her. Um, and, and, and she was, she was basically held hostage by them, uh, for a long time and forced to, you know, in, engage in all sorts of just horrible things that nobody should ever have to go through. So, you know, that she wasn't, I don't know who you would think would be, you know, who kids are that get sex trafficked, but, you know, that was her and another clients, they were at a motel in a not great part of town with, you know, party that was happening at this motel room and they were underage obviously. And they were, you know, they were drinking a little bit and 
some of the guys like, hey, you know, you know, raise your shirt and, you know, they're taking pictures. And uh, next thing you know, uh, they're being told you're going to have sex with this guy who showed up. And they took the pictures and put them on Backpage and started advertising them for sex. And so these girls who, you know, were at this party that suddenly, you know, they're being young and, <clears throat> you know, obviously you shouldn't be drinking all that when you're young, but did they go and, you know, again, I don't know who you would think would be the normal person, like kid that would be caught up in this stuff, but they, I mean, immediately it goes from having a good time, thinking they're being kind of funny, raising their shirts to all of a sudden they're being forced to have sex with men and, and they're being beat. Their cigarettes are being put out on them if they wouldn't obey what they were being told to do. These are young girls, right? And they're just trapped. And, you know, we talked about this earlier, but the problem with Backpage is they didn't have to take these girls out to the street and on the corner where they might be able to get away or a police officer might be able to see that they're in distress. Um, they're stuck. They're in a room. They're in that motel room. And Backpage allowed them to post ads and just bring in, you know, guy after guy after guy. Uh, to sexually assault them, you know, so advice for parents is uh, it, that's a really hard one to answer because, you know, the examples I'm giving you, how do you prevent that? You know, um, kids are kids, right? And it's it's going to happen. It's, 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 so I don't think, I don't know how much you can tell parents, right? I mean, you can tell them, love your kids, keep an eye on your kids. I, you know, a lot of our clients, their parents love their kids. It's not like, you know, you can't say things like that, right? It's just, they're kids. And all of a sudden, because of this platform, um, it created a marketplace where, you know, the kids get snagged and these horrific things happen. Yeah. Once we finally got into some of the corporate records and uh, were able to actually uh, speak to some of the employees that worked for the company, which we could only do with a subpoena, uh, you came to find out uh, it was, I mean, I don't know if I want to say it was worse, but it was as worse as you could imagine. I mean, they were directly manipulating ads, directly working with um, traffickers who were posting upwards of even $25,000, dollars $50,000 worth of ads per month and trying to work with these posters, the users of their website, who were obviously paying to use the website um, to help them create ads that they felt would, would warrant a lot less scrutiny and could help their business uh, continue to succeed. And, um, you know, obviously the, the evidence became so overwhelming to show that this company was uh, not just sort of negligently standing by while its uh, business was being misused, but actively being part of the illicit operation, actively helping facilitate these transactions uh, and, and actively turning a blind eye uh, to the fact that this was happening and there were things that they could do to try to prevent it. You know, you could require IDs, you could do certain things, uh, but they didn't want to do it because they could only push so much or they'd risk losing their, uh, losing their partners. In this case, many of those partners being traffickers. You know, as far as advice to, to people who are out there that may have been trafficked on Backpage, uh, we would encourage you to you know, if you're open to contacting a lawyer, not just us, but any lawyer who works in this area um, to make sure you understand your legal rights. And one of the reasons that's really important is that if the criminal prosecution is successful, there very well could be a criminal restitution fund that is available to compensate uh, people who are trafficked on the website using the money that the federal government seized. 
So if, if you're listening to this and you may have a claim, either keep an eye on that, the criminal prosecution, and to see if there's a restitution fund so you can you can try to apply for some of that um, or, or contact the lawyer and, and make sure that they're keeping an eye on that for you. Wow. Well, this was a great conversation, and I want to thank Vinny and Jason for joining us today. And thank you again to our listeners for tuning into another episode of Parallel Justice. Just as a reminder, we will put information about Fowl, Cochran, Veritas, and Amala in the show notes page to make sure that you can check out Vinny and Jason. Thanks again for listening, and please join us next week. Thank you for joining us for this conversation. Again, we know the topics discussed can be difficult and may be emotionally triggering. Support is available at victimconnect.org through call, text, and chat. We encourage you to take time today to learn about your rights and options that are available to you. Building safer communities requires every one of us to take action. Visit victimsofcrime.org to learn more. This podcast was created by the National Center for Victims of Crime in partnership with our center and affiliate, the National Crime Victim Bar Association, the nation's first professional association of attorneys and expert witnesses dedicated to helping victims seek justice through the civil system. To support this podcast, please visit victimsofcrime.org slash donate. Parallel Justice is hosted by Renee Williams, written by Krista Anderson and Mariana Wells, edited by John Williams and produced by Deidre Watford.